The opinions expressed on the Joy Has Questions podcast are honest and based on the personal and professional experiences of myself and that of my guests. Therefore, I choose to share my experiences on my platform and it doesn't reflect the viewpoint of any corporation and or business entity. Woo! All righty. Now that we got that out the way, let's get on to the show. Hey, good people. It's your girl Joy Has Questions coming to you with another amazing episode starting with You Better Know. So this week, Black History on IG shocked the hell out of me when they made a post about Betty Davis. Now, I have always known Betty Davis to be this white, iconic American actress. But this Betty Davis grew up in Pittsburgh and made her way to New York in the early 60s, where she gained entrance into hipster musical circles based on the club she frequented and then namely the one she worked at, The Cellar. Now, she started putting in work in the music industry in 1964, but her first major writing credit, Uptown, was accredited in 1967 by the Chamberlain Brothers. So one year later, she meets Miles Davis in New York, and then they're married by the end of 68. Now, their marriage doesn't even last until 1970, but this was a really influential union because she introduces Miles to psychedelic rock and even helps change his wardrobe or influences his new style. So his 1968 LP, Filets de Kilimanjaro, pray for me, y'all, because I know I just butchered that title, featured her on the cover and he wrote the final track for her. So he really was like inspired by his wife, which I think is so dope. So Davis hardly led up with her second and third albums. 1974, they say I'm different in 1975's Nasty Gal, but they didn't have that much of an impact. But what I loved about her story was how she was true to her craft and true to what she loved about rock. So when we think about Black women, I love when we, you know, now in more recent years, focus on like Beyonce's band that she had for years, the Sugar Mamas, or we focus on Rico Nasty and how she interjects like a lot of rock influences into her hip hop style. But it's iconic pioneers like Betty Davis that really helped move the needle and paved the way and stay true to themselves in the process. That's what I love to see and highlight. All right, y'all. Inspirational moment over. Now let's get on to the rest of the show. Hey, everybody. So, you know, if there is one building on planet Earth that I go up for, it is the National Museum of African-American History and Culture, a.k.a. the Black Smithsonian. So I didn't need another reason to love this building, but now they done messed around and made the entire thing digital. So when I'm telling you I am running through this website right now like Lieutenant Uhura from Star Trek, it is not a game, people. They have activity book lists for the babies with affirmations, an entire race web portal for those hard but necessary conversations, and the exhibits are digital as well. So if you want to just take a little deep download, educate yourself, have a good time learning amazing Black history facts, this is the time to do it. Tell them Joy has questions sent you. And now let's get on to the rest of the show. When I tell you I am super, super excited for the person that I have on the show today that I am interviewing, when I, this brother is 
down for the cause. He is with the, well, you know, I respect him so much. I'm not even going to be sophisticated ratchet and curse because I'm like, I'm a track today yes. in my intro. But I have Ramey Mario. Like when I tell you, you are one of my fave, fave, fave CDs I ever had the pleasure to work with. One of my favorite brothers ever to work with, period. I am too geeked to have you on here, especially seeing how I'm like, oh, this brother got a team now. Like he was like, yes, price. Yeah, we're getting it. Not today's price. <laughs> well, uh, first of all, thank you. And I mean, Joy, like obviously you're one of my favorite people. So I'm anytime you need anything, I would, I'm always glad to sit out and talk. Thank you so, so much. I mean, clearly we were brought together. We were working at the same company. Um I don't have no money like that, so I won't be saying the name because I'm not trying to have nobody legal department be like, so actually you have to take everything down. But, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. but that's how we like got cool with one another, really got yeah. to work on like dope projects. Um, and just in such a short amount of time, it was just very apparent like that you know to the tip top every like of what you're doing in this industry. You were always writing for the creative, always writing for the stories to be told um, and really just focused on that. And I'm honored, honestly, like I'm, this isn't like no cloud shit. Like I'm truly honored to have you on the, on the show. So thank you for that. So always, always. we're going to drop right into it. Let's do it um, yeah. You've been in this industry for a minute, right? So you have a lot of experience. You work for a lot of different brands, but like let's rewind it all the way back to the origin story. Like. Did you grow up in a creative household? Like, what was it that got that, that, you know, imagination spark going inside of you that made you look up one day and say, you know what? Mm -hmm. I'm going to take this route all the way to a career. Yeah, it's, it's funny because, yeah, first of all, yes, I came grew up in a very uh, creative household. Like, my, my whole family is either artists of some sort or frustrated artists <laughs> of another sort. So we usually have very dramatic gatherings. Um, but my, my mother's a costume designer and my father um, worked mostly like, he was actually, whenever anybody like, do, when people say like hustle culture and like hustling and all that kind of stuff, that was my dad. Like he was, uh, he would do illustrations on the side. He would sell the people. He, we would be driving down the, the road. He would stop, run across the street to pick up a can. Like, he's like that kind of dude. He would be like turning over cars. He'd buy wrecked cars and like fix them up and then sell them like full on wholesale all the time, all everywhere. Right. Okay. Um, and then I have like a few different cousins that are um, in the music industry or rappers or singers or, uh, you know, instrumentalists. And then for myself, I actually started out in uh, the sciences, actually. I'm like, I'm a, I'm a very, very big um, astrophysicist. Like, that was actually what I was going to be for a, a, the longest time. You were about to be Neil Tyson DeGrasse, just like casually. <laughs> Almost, yeah, 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 you get it. <laughs> Wild, uh, okay. And I mean, it's still like a huge part of my, my personality and kind of the way that I think is still grounded in a lot of analytics and science and data. Um, but... I actually kind of started my path to art. I would say back in, okay, I'm gonna tell a little story. I'm gonna try to keep it short. So I uh, was like seven years old and my dad had this thing where he would always take us on adventures. And some of these adventures would be like, we're going to Big Bear, we're gonna spend the weekend up there, or we're going like, you know, to Arizona, or it would be like, we're gonna 
go to get ice cream at like after dinner, but there was usually like some kind of adventure my dad would take people on after dinner. <clears throat> and one night when I was seven, he took us to uh, a mall, like an empty parking, like mall parking lot um, that was not too far from our house. It was probably like 20 minutes from our house. And everybody was like, we were, we were so used to him taking us places. We, we knew there was some, like there was a shoe that was going to drop somewhere. Just couldn't understand why it was an empty parking lot. So he got everybody to get out of the car and just, we start walking. He's just like, everybody, come on, let's go. We're going this way. Um, and then we walked to the other side of the mall and there was, this was the first time I'd ever seen this. It was hundreds of people. There were trucks and cars everywhere. There were lights everywhere. And there was this weird looking car that was basically skating around the parking lot being chased by a van. Um, and so we sat there for probably 20 minutes, I think, just watching it because it was like a big spectacle. And that, that what we were watching was the first Back to the Future movie being filmed. And so like, I was blown away because this was like, I never, I mean, I've heard of sets and you like, you see stuff on TV every once in a while, but actually stepping foot on a set was a completely different experience for me. And three months later, I think, yeah, it was about three or four months later, we actually saw the movie in the, in the theater and I was like gone. I was like, okay, that's, that's obviously what I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. This is like, I didn't, I didn't realize that you could like build so many interesting stories and make people feel things uh, in that way. And it kind of opened a whole nother side of my personality and my like psyche up. And that's, I think where I started my journey as a, as a creative and as an artist. So um, I, I started writing and actually I think one for the first probably 10 years that I wrote, I actually specialized in poetry. So I have like mountains of poems that I've written and I like went through high school with that, uh, in, in, uh, you know, college, like writing a lot of poetry. And then at some point I kind of got to, to know more about, I, I studied film mm-hmm. and the, the, the storytelling and technical aspects of film kind of made me understand visual art more. And I kind of shifted and drew into visual art and drew into like motion graphics and the, the world at that point was just getting interactive. Meaning the internet was moving from a place where it was just static pages you would go to and read and leave to a much more interactive storytelling, interactive filmmaking on the internet. And since I already had a science background, I knew how to code. And so there was this kind of melding between the stuff that I had learned in my life before and the opportunities kind of in the, in the world that existed at that point. Um, there was nobody I knew that did, did anything like that. Like, I think, I think it would have been, it was probably another like five years after I really started in this industry that I really met any other black people that were doing this. Um, and I would say the vast majority of my career has not like worked at all with, with, with black folk. It's, It's only fairly recently that so many more folks are coming into the industry. And it's part of the reason why I'm so personally focused in getting people in and getting them elevated quickly. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, that's a very long story to kind of get where I am now. And then, yeah, all kinds of crazy since, since there I'm i uh, I'm big into entertainment. So I've spent a lot of my career in the entertainment field, right. working on TV shows and films. And then at a certain point I, I started dipping my toes in tech and, uh, after working in tech for a while and working in like global branding for, you know, companies like Shazam and, uh, Facebook and all kinds of other groups in between there. Uh, I have a fairly rare skill set now that I understand very deeply entertainment and building 
like groundbreaking entertainment campaigns, but I also understand global branding, which is a whole nother completely different wing of our business, but I can bring them together. So that's kind of what I do all day. See, all I heard in that whole story was you were blessed by Marty McFly yes. to be great. So that's yes. like, literally, I'm For like, real. or, but For all real. jokes aside, I think it's number one, it shows the, the power of, your parents like imprinting on you. And let's be honest, like our parents yeah. are perfect humans. So everyone got a story of like the mm -hmm. good and the bad. So it, and it, it's just life, you know, you understand that as you get older and you learn from it. But I think those good moments, like that truly was something that stuck with you so hard that it helped craft you as a man, like in terms of yeah. what you found to be enjoyable, not just in terms of like making a paycheck, but like really expressing yourself, right? Like yeah. to the point that, you were like, no, I have to do this. I'm going to have poetry. I'm going to like learn how to, to build out this complete 360 campaign. It, it's, it's mind blowing actually, because you, you don't think about how sometimes those type of memories exactly. completely can shift the trajectory of your life. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And especially when it's just like, what is dad doing this week? Like, I mean, seriously, it was a lot like that. And I, I think, uh, yeah, I, 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 it took me a long time to realize. I mean, that was a, an old memory, like a very old memory. It took me a long time to realize that that was kind of the genesis of where I started my career and why I changed from like astronomy and astrophysics to to the, the kind of the arts. But I think that one thing I would say, especially as it relates to my parents, is my parents have always been, uh, or they were were always very interested in us defining ourselves, meaning like having our individual uh, individual personhood being protected. So they would do things that I think like, especially most people when I tell them about it, they're like, it's weird. Like we would do things like we'd have dinner, right? And if somebody didn't want to eat dinner or they wanted like to go out and have like a hamburger, my parents would like go get a hamburger for that one person and we would all eat dinner, except for that one person who would eat whatever the hell they wanted. And it sounds weird, right? But it, the thing that's interesting about it is it makes it like the, the thinking that they instilled in us was so um, it helped us stay independent in our minds about and, and be very kind of clear about who, who we are and what, what it is that we wanted in life. Right. And, and even now, like we're I'm, I'm you know, my, my brothers and I are in our 40s and you can see it much more clearly now because like we all have our own distinct careers and we're the way that we work is is an echo of the way that we were taught. Mm -hmm. I completely, yeah, I have a, I think we all, yeah, having like that similarity and even something that you pull from, like I, I was definitely, and I have to just take a step back, understanding that my parents respectively were from like, you know, that baby boomer generation. Mm -hmm. My father mm -hmm. was even older. I didn't even realize this. His generation was called the lost generation. Yeah. But basically, <laughs> yeah. the reason why it was called that is because, like, my dad was born in 1935. So it was mm -hmm. like, it wasn't like popping like the roaring 20s. You're sure. in the middle of a depression. Like, you're yeah. also right before World War II happened. So it's just like, it was too much going on yeah. in the world. <laughs> like, look, just be happy yeah. you're here. And we'll pick this back up once everything settles. Mm -hmm. um, but having both of them or both of those perspectives, they were wildly like into like my autonomy, like mm -hmm. you said, and just wildly into like me um, going for what it was that made me happy. Like even in school, uh, my parents had a thing where they were like, look, 
truly as long as it is your best effort and we know when it is not mm-hmm. we will accept it you know so having that that's excellent yeah you know and ha- but that's the thing it was also kind of a double-edged sword because i was smart so they knew they mm-hmm. like i truly could get grounded for bees like yeah. well everyone else is just out here like girl why are you not outside kicking it i'm like i gotta be and they were like what and i'm like I'm not gonna be <laughs> oh they knew i was like talking too much yeah but yeah. things like that it does help push you in terms of your focus and as well as terms of your passion. Um, mm-hmm. And even something that you said leading me to like my next question. So like now currently with you spending so many years in the industry, you know, racking up this type of experience, going from one amazing company and brand to another, you have seen, I don't even know if I can call it the ascension of blackness or I'll yeah. just put it as like yeah. the progression of blackness within like advertising, marketing and media. Like you said, like, recently I started working with us, but it was yeah. not, and we all, I think, kind of have those stories of like, right. girl, I just stopped being the token like 10 months ago. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> but, I totally agree, yeah. But what are your thoughts on that? Like, is this something that you feel, you know, when you see these shifts, like, how does it make you feel? Do you feel hopeful? Or are you just like, oh, here we go. Everyone's on some performative shit. Like, what? what yeah, no, that's a great question. I, you know, I, I actually, it's one of those things that I talk to a lot of people that are kind of in my cohort, um, at the career cohort, even though we don't necessarily do the same thing, like people that are, you know, directors or C-levels and executives. And one of the things that I think all of us are doing or that we feel quietly um but we don't talk about very much i think i only talked about it with like two people but i now understand that like all of us are thinking the same thing which is there's a certain short attention span of mainstream american culture right and i think that the things that we saw that sparked the black lives matter not really sparked the black lives matter but was brought into the forefront of american conversation and then therefore brought into the forefront of global conversation those things kind of have a shelf life. Like George Floyd's death actually has a shelf life and not because black people wanted to have a shelf life, but because non-black people uh, don't have that much attention for it. And so I think for a lot of us, one of the things that we realized or we realized pretty early on was there's a moment here that we can actually pretty dramatically increase the balance, um, not just for black people, but for people that are underrepresented in general in the spaces that we have leadership over and the spaces that we operate in. And I think that that is what most of us have been sprinting for, which is how many people can we mentor? How many people can we get into positions that they could not get into five years ago and they may not be able to get into five years from now? How do we, how do we amplify all of the progress that has been made and make sure we don't lose ground collectively? And I think, um, we're also trying to balance that while not allowing that to turn into a, any sort of bias that will, you know, color the way that we work and color the way that we think that, about things. And so the way that I look at it, yeah, is I think it's a, it's a really important piece and, and a really important movement. I think that personally, I had to just swallow a lot of insecurities and uh, be vulnerable to people that, frankly, I didn't know very well in in corporate environments so that they could understand what it meant to be Black uh, and watch, you know, George Floyd get murdered and beg for his mother. And I think that trying, that's the, like, I don't think I can, there's not a lot that I feel I have done in any meaningful way 
But I think if I can move some of those people in the right direction emotionally and like just under from an empathetic standpoint, that will help a lot of people that will come after me, hopefully. And in the same breath, like I, I'm going to do everything I can to do the exact same thing, which is I, I want to see more of us in these spaces. And the reason why is not um, it's not selfish or, or that I just want to see black faces in these spaces or, or people of color in these spaces or more women in these spaces. It's because that is a more accurate representation of what the actual fucking world is. And right. I think that when I, as long as I've been in tech, like it's ter- terrifying how much power we have concentrated in such a very select group of people. And granted, that's been true for a lot of like most of human history. But when you see it up close and you see see and realize like the th- the world that we are all kind of using, especially in the digital spaces, for a long time was not built for us and it wasn't built with us in mind. And I think that uh, anything we can do to kind of balance that that scale is is exactly what we should be doing. I completely agree. I think even in terms of of like you said, like that world wasn't built for us. Like I didn't grow up in a household, even with internet. Like if you are living below the poverty line, yeah, the internet yeah. is when you go to the library and then you wait in line with everyone else who is allotted an hour to try right. and get their homework done. And you just keep going in shifts with everyone that's right. there with you. So no, I didn't, I didn't even grow up with that. Oh, I'm going to play the Oregon trail. Like I, we're mm-hmm. like, no, we're playing that in computer class. And then yeah. you're going home to, yep. to public access television. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that when you say like, yeah, this trajectory or looking at the attention span, the interest level, whatever, you know, it is, I think I look at it in a perspective of like, when you think about whether you think about warfare, whether you think about how you build out programs, not everyone can be a soldier. That's right. Like, and I think once I finally understood that a little bit better, it's really helped me to navigate like, okay, what is revolution to me and how do I now bring that into the workplace? I have a lot of people in my life that I know through and through, they will never be able to work in corporate America because they yes. just like, <laughs> yes. it's like they are, they don't have the, the bandwidth to politic to kind of maneuver. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong, mm-hmm. but I do know this. They need me to bring up, Hey, you need to holler at Joe Fresh Goods. Yo, right. y'all need to talk to so-and-so because whereas they will never be that person that is like, I'm clocking in or I'm doing this in this perspective. I know that I serve as a gatekeeper to culture as well as subculture. Because mm-hmm. I'm very big on, once I see it two times, I'm like, nope, we're not doing another yeah. footwork in peace. We're moving on. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. That. like yeah. and I think that's like a, a big... I don't even want to say weight off my shoulders, but I think it really has helped. I think a lot of people, once you realize like your place in the journey of like, it's not necessarily saying you're less than because you're not on the front line, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. someone had to feed Martin and Baynard and Coretta and everybody right. after they just got their ass beat, exactly. you know, and set in jail all weekend. So exactly. I think it's, you know, knowing your placement mm-hmm. still helps progress. Yeah. Um, it's, it's especially now seeing how people, can't go back to what I like to call, you know, willful, willful ignorance. Like it's just, yeah. it's not possible anymore. That's right. That's so, right. Um, so I think that's something like, so looking in terms of like with you being in a creative space, how is it, you know, that you find 
your inspiration? Because case in point, like there's everyone loves there's ad age. There's, you know, I personally am always scrolling through and explore. I love a good explore page to help me find things, but there's so many platforms and, and ways to do it. Um, personally, I am most inspired when I just go walking in the hood. I kid you not. Mm -hmm. Like when I just go walking and beating the, you know, beating the concrete, that's where I get like my best thoughts and interactions. But what's, what like really sparks your, your creativity or your imagination? Yeah. I mean, I honestly, I, I am, uh, I'm not a fan of the advertising industry and marketing industry. And when I say that, I don't mean that I don't like the pursuit of like mass communication. <clears throat> I just think that. Like, Whoa, well, what industry? I was like, you here with us? Okay. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I get you. Yeah, but it's, it's one of those things. Where I, I, I don't think that that. I think it's very. Um, the word I want to use is incestuous, <laughs> and I, I, let me explain what I mean. I think that the industry tends to look at itself for inspiration, mm-hmm. and that tends to produce the same type of work over and over again, and it tends to produce same stories about the same kind of people over and over and over again. And I don't necessarily think, by the way, this is just limited to like marketing and advertising. I think this is a statement generally about media. And I think that for me, I try to be very active in looking for looking in places that I would not expect to look. So I'm a big, big fan of I follow like a tremendous amount of people you've never heard of on Instagram, for example, or on on TikTok. Like people like have no basically no subscribers, but they keep putting out content and putting out like interesting things. And it's an interesting thought because what I found, it's not, I mean, a a lot of it, there's a lot of trash out there, no doubt. But the thing that happens, especially with smaller creators and people, when I say creators, I'm not just talking about people making videos, but people that are like artists and artisans is that they tend to not be so influenced by the mob. And so they start making things that are more human and things that are actually trying to say something. And that resonate Uh, with them. Yeah, exactly. And I think that what I've tried to do in my career is make things that actually say something more interesting than just try to sell something. And I think uh, over the years, I've finally realized that like one of the things that is very cliche to say, but it is true, the closer you can get to a human truth, meaning a truth that if you say it to basically anybody, they will be like, oh, yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the better the work will be. And I think some of this, a lot of the work that we do in marketing and advertising is, you know, try, trying to take a human truth and wrap a message around that that is tied to a brand or tied to something. But I think it's also important to do things that are not that uh, as an individual and as a creative. So you kind of need to do your own artistic things. You need to write, you need to draw on the chalkboard or on the, on the sidewalk. You need to just make things. And I think that it's, um, it's easy to miss it. And especially the higher up you go, you think you're doing things that are important because you have an important job with an important title and they pay you a lot of money to do X, Y, Z. But that is probably the least important creative work that you will do if you, by comparison to the stuff that you are generating on your own, the things that you're collaborating with other people and you're trying to tell a story that doesn't have like a brand attached to it because it makes you a better storyteller and it makes you more effective at humanity, which is at its core for, especially for a creative, but I would say in general for a marketer, like those things are that that's why people are good or not. And most people in this industry are not, uh, I can, 
I can count on one hand, like the greatest marketers I've ever dealt with, the greatest. And most of those people are really just storytellers. So the kind of people like you, yeah, sure. You could write like a, a spot that's like got a bunch of writers and director and all kinds of stuff going on. But I'm most interested in the, the core human part of storytelling. So people that can just stand uh, in front of a camera or stand in front of a group of people and just hold their attention is fascinating. Exactly. To me. Like I say, like, my you call it like you know what is the human truth and i've always for me it's always been described of what does it make you feel yeah like if you yeah. can get to the that to me is the biggest impact it supersedes any metric any analytic any study mm-hmm. that you're doing like if you can get to that yeah it will capture people and especially mm-hmm. like you know our industry is good for an attention span metric we loved it well are they yeah. watching it's like again if we get to the heart of the matter, or if we really tell the story in a convincing and authentic way, they will stay. Yeah, they will. Care yeah, what, exactly. what, what reports say. And I think that's something that like, you hit that on the head. And also, it's a lot of responsibility. You know, that once you're getting closer to that C-suite or, or mm-hmm. any CEO will tell you, they don't know half of what is going on. In no, their they company. do not. That is a great way to describe that. Yeah, nobody... Right. I, actually, that's a good thing to just pause for a moment on because I think that a lot of people don't understand this. I've dealt with so many executives and like very, very, very big and hypothetically smart people mm-hmm. um, that the only thing I can say consistently about most of those people is they are nowhere near as impressive as you think they are or as impressive as, as their brands lead you to believe they are. And I don't know, I, I'm not, I'm not making that statement to say that like they, they are I know you're not saying not them. Well, no, yeah. And, and I'm not saying that they're undeserving of the successes they have. I just think that there's a mythology that's built up around, especially in tech, around founders and around like the, the, the captains of industry that make the world go around. And you get in a room with some of these people and you're like, okay, that is not what I was expecting. And my cousin, you know, my cousin Barbie is like way cooler than this and way smarter. I don't understand what's happening, but I think it's an important statement about, it's not a statement on those people in my mind. It's more of a statement about the power of the mythologies that we built up around these people. It's and, the branding. Yeah. And it separates that, that mythology separates uh, us regular people from those people and the successes they have, they've had. And it makes it so that we start fighting ourselves to even consider that we could be in those spaces. Exactly. And I think, I kid you not, getting back to the origin story of like, why it's so important to have people around you that will push you to not get caught up in that. Yeah. My mom always used to say like, I don't care if they're richer. All that means is that they gonna, they might die in a better box than you. It's true. <laughs> and when I and when she said, I was Very like, true. my God, you're absolutely correct. Mm-hmm. The only way you can impress me truly, mm-hmm. if you have figured out immortality, now yeah. we need to have a conversation. Exactly. But outside of that, I'm like, it death comes for for us all. Yeah. Whether it's you know a mythical story that's being told in Sherlock Holmes that I loved, like when he was like, mm-hmm. this man did all this to run away from death, and he was like, yeah, I knew you were gonna be here at six p.m. anyway, so <laughs> you ready to go or not? Nah? And it's just like <laughs> it makes it makes so much sense just in that aspect of like just do your best work, mm-hmm. and you also unwittingly brought up like the second point about that that what it made me think of. People are so close 
to always trying to get to the CEO that they really forget that the doorman is actually who you really at times need to be talking. I mean, a lot of times, yeah, you get a lot more done for sure. <laughs> I because that's the thing I have. The people that are not necessarily respected or taken into consideration, let me tell you something. I have learned very quickly in my career, don't make an EA mad. That is not the person Mm -hmm. (laughs) that you want to get on their bad side because they are truly the gatekeepers. You want, I want to present this. I want to do that. Mm -hmm. I'm a cool kid, but you're disrespecting the people because you don't think they have the position or the title. So they're, they're under you and therefore don't require your respect. Um, And that's something that even like, yeah, you treat the doorman with the same respect as the CEO, but I'm always like, and sometimes you treat the doorman better because mm-hmm. they're the ones that notice Generally speaking, schedule, yeah. <laughs> when they go to lunch, when yeah. they're not in a good mood, like they yeah. will tell you everything if you do right by them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's something you brought up titles and position, the higher up you get. Also, the more so people beneath you, or not beneath you in terms of who they are, but just level wise. Yeah, they're yeah. like, oh, we got to be cool. We got to be friends. I'm like, you don't give a damn about <laughs> string theory. Stop trying to like say something <laughs> random just because you want Ravi to talk to you. Like, yeah. <laughs> string theory for me is mozzarella. Ch- what is Sargento doing? I don't know what it is. <laughs> like, we're never going to bond on that. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> unless I watched the Big Bang uh, Theory episode and then I'm like okay mm-hmm. cool Sheldon, yeah. so that's about it yeah. Um, yeah. But, so in terms of that like the saying is heavy is the head that wears you know the crown and you have a lot of responsibility I, I feel like you've had it for yeah. some time because this isn't like your first time having a, mm-hmm. a role or a position of this magnitude mm-hmm. how do you balance that in the sense of you know teaching yourself like how to separate the two, not to let it overtake you. Um, and what advice would you give for people that are just like, look, I don't know how he does it or how, or how to do it. Yeah. Um, well, one thing I would say is that's important to ground yourself. And this is, I think more important, the more successful or at least elevated that you are in your career. I think, um, I try to remind myself a lot that, uh, the difference between where I am currently sitting in, in terms of my, like my life and where I could have been with, with changes to my, like my life earlier um, that I had no control over is it's a, like, it's a whisper of a difference and it would be dramatic. Like I, I could, I could be in a very different position. And I think that um, for me, the thing I'm trying to like zero in on is this thought that I am very much trying to be a good, good human being mm-hmm. and um, and not trying to be like a good corporate person necessarily mm-hmm. and trying to be better tomorrow than I am today and try to do better for other people than I did yesterday. And I think that has not always been like successful for me, but I think that I try to, I try to like burn that into my soul so that I keep that in mind. And even when we talk about things like the the seniority of someone or not in inside of a, a corporate organization, like the, the the reality to me is there's so much there's so much luck involved in how we get to the places we go, mm-hmm. um, and some of that is not luck, like in, in the case of like systemic racism, right? But some of this is like where we where we're allowed to go has been controlled for a long time. Right. But I think that it's. Uh, all, all I can do is I don't I don't know how I'm going to be remembered as a human being like long after I'm dead. But what I can do 
is try to influence the people around me and the things that, that give me that scope gives me balance in the work that I do. Because I think that it's really easy to get totally bent out of whack if you have some like very powerful CEO or VP or whoever um, talking to you and like people are losing their minds and there's a, there's a firestorm going on. People are just, they take things too seriously. Um, and the reality is we're not doing things that are that serious or important. And my job as a creative director and as an executive is to understand the difference between all the things that are going on and the things that were that are important that are going on. And it's easy to get lost in that swirl. So a lot of times, one of the things people will, will note about me is I, I am supernaturally calm in, in like a firefight. Uh, and part of the reason why I am is not because I'm like disconnected emotionally, but it's because I usually have established what it is that is most important and everything else is not important, meaning I don't have to think about it. Uh, and usually if you do that, you will end up in much more successful like places and you will end up ideally with uh, quite a few less gray hairs than, than you probably would have otherwise. <laughs> Definitely. And then I think that's really sound advice to take just in the sense of like, once you strip away what's truly important and you're not walking into it based on like a position or the opportunity, you're walking into it based on like showing up as your real self and right. doing right by people and doing right by your own vision, you mm -hmm. know? And I think that, yeah, I completely agree. That is what makes, you know, the difference. Um, I think it's, you mentioned like, you know, how your, your life could have went like two completely different trajectories. And we all, I, yeah, we have that where it's just like, man, I could have like mm -hmm. stayed in this situation and been here um, versus I made this choice. I chose the red pill or the blue, whatever pill you mm -hmm. chose. And now I'm here at this place in my life. Is there a moment in which like, when we're looking at like the flow and ebbs that is life and you were just like, I don't know necessarily how to navigate this. And like, what were, what was that, that teachable moment or, or that learning lesson that helped you like get back to your, to your true self or get back to like, okay, I found my mojo again. Yeah, that's a good, I mean, I, it's interesting because one of my superpowers is, is I am, um, how would I describe it? Is that I'm really interested in people. So like, I understand how people think and I have a pretty good understanding of how they feel about things. Um, and I'm also a watcher of people. So like I'll also pay very close attention to people themselves as individuals. But I think the thing that um, has made me successful more than anything else I've ever done, and I would argue that it will, it is probably the most universal thing that will make you successful, is I'm completely fearless intentionally about the stuff that I do. So a lot of times when I say fearless, I don't, I don't necessarily mean that I don't have fear because I actually, I think in reality, I'm terrified of a lot of the moves that I've made. Um, but I do think that I have made more clear-headed decisions when I have allowed the fear to like drain away from me and understand like not, like I'll give you an example. There, there used to be like when I started into leadership roles, one of the fears that I had was that like people would not take me seriously because I was a black dude. And more in particular, I was like, I'm like a big black dude. <clears throat> and I think that I thought I would have to like fight my way into it. And I, I for a long time, I want to say a long time, I think for the first few times I was offered a leadership role anywhere, I turned it down because I was afraid that I would not be able to keep up, um, not, not intellectually, but keep up emotionally with the needs of both managing 
what I perceive as how people perceive me mm-hmm. and managing what's actually going on in, in the work environment. And so I think, I think uh, just peeling, peeling away the, the fear and, and, and really just making decisions based on what's actually in front of you has always made the difference. Like I, I, people that know me, especially at the executive level, I'm very nice, dude, but I will absolutely tell you the complete and honest, total fucking truth that nobody wants to tell you. And a lot of times the way that I determine what quality of person I'm dealing with is how they react to that truth. Now, um, some people have like flipped out and fired me. Um, some people have been very thoughtful about it and made changes based on it. And some people are just so stunned that they don't say anything for a while or they just don't do anything at all. And I think that understanding that, like that getting over that fear of doing that, because like I said, I've done it to some surprisingly senior people (laughs) that have their own mythologies like floating around them. Um, But it's been it's worked. And it's 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 weird because it's like in, in, you know, in black culture, like it's normal to tell people what you think about things. It is not normal to do that in a corporate environment. Oh, no. You're kind of like pulling like the parts of black culture in that you need for for certain things. Um, but yeah, that 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 fearlessness has been very helpful. But it has to be tempered, at least in my, in my case, it had to be tempered with uh, the language of corporate environments and like the you know, the almost insincerity behind all of it. You still have to like pierce all that with a truth that is still true within that context. Yeah. I I I literally sat back one day and realized that a lot of the ales I thought I was taking in corporate America was because I didn't understand that when white people ask you a question, they are not necessarily asking, they're telling you something. That's true. It's entirely possible. Yeah. And that's the thing because the environment I grew, or I think not only just on a macro level is our community, like you said, like black people, we will tell you how it is. Like there yeah, is whether no, you like it or not, for sure. Like, so wait, I can't find this. And so you didn't send this to me and I need you to do it now because we have to do X, Y, and Z. Or it's like, oh, I didn't see that. Is Are you sure it's there? And it's like, I sent it over. Like, why are we doing this? I'm like, oh, I'm sorry if you didn't see it. It's like the song and dance that Mm -hmm. like happens. And I really sat back and had to think and be like, oh my God. If I'd have realized this so much sooner, I probably yeah. would have let go from a lot of the places I was at. But mm-hmm. at the same time, like it's the fearlessness that you mentioned. And also you didn't say it, but it's a culture fit too. Totally, totally. Because yeah. you have to, or that's how I interpreted what you said, yeah. I should say. Is it's just a matter of like if it's perceived or like sometimes you got fired, uh, they were completely like they're not a that's good right. culture fit. Ramey is yeah. problematic as fuck. Or sometimes yeah. it's like they didn't know how to respond to it at all. So they're just like. Mm-hmm. Let's just act like it never happened. Yeah. Or those the longest time, honestly, that 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 feature of my kind of personality, um, I thought was going to be just a tremendous long term liability because I was like, yes, I'm being honest with people. I don't think I'm doing it the wrong way. But, you know, like I said, I've been been let go because of stuff like that, like the day of, you know what I mean? Um, And and what I've realized over time now, because now I have much broader um, networks of people that I've worked with, you know, 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago. Um, now I see looking backward the wake of my career. And I see that 
what has happened is that people see me as an honest person and not just an honest person, but a, a smart, honest person that is actually trying to achieve something like is, is very focused on like getting the, whatever like is in front of me done. And that has made it so that part of my, like, part of my reputation, reputation in the industry and part of the reputation I carry professionally is like, if you ask me a question, um, I will probably give you the most nicest, honest answer you will get. Right. And you can trust that, like that, that, that I'm an honest source in that sense. And it might be like, oh yeah, yeah, your breath stinks. You know what I mean? But it also, <laughs> but it will but be also, true. Also, here's like, some winter fresh gum because yes, I exactly. love you, you and it. I want you to win. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. You're like, so no, this treatment is not good, but this yes. is what we're gonna do to make it better. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And I, I think that you don't. It, it it makes no sense to put sugar on shit. Like it's, it's it's like you're going to just continue and it doesn't help the person grow. No, not at all. Yeah. Like yeah. the second I realized the first I have a thing, like you lie to people you think are stupid or that you right. don't I'm like are on your I'm like, and I know I'm very intelligent. So it's like mm-hmm. that's something where it's like help me, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, and if mm-hmm. it's not the best, then tell me that. Um yeah. Which is, this is rolling right along, like, so naturally and organically. Yeah, so, like, this great. brings me to Black excellence. Yeah. I have had this conversation more ways than I would like to. Mm-hmm. I literally, kid you not, just got through watching Harlem mm-hmm. on um, Amazon Prime, which... Love it, by the way. Love that show. <laughs> I could, I'm never watching season one again. <laughs> Because it, I am commit. I had to accept it. Like I literally went through it. So it was too triggering. I get you. I was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was in the house, like just eating snickerdoodle ice cream and crying all weekend. It was bad. <laughs> like my friends are like, we should have never let you watch oh, it. Man. Yeah. But um, phenomenal show. But there's, but not giving it away from anyone who hasn't seen it. But there's a moment where one of the characters, Angie, who is. Everybody need an Angie. She's fucking (laughs) but you gotta have her. She's having this whole debate about, you know, black art, black excellence, Mm. and the fact of like, you know, our art should be able to be criticized just like anyone else's. And I have definitely said, I was like, I've said that shit. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because there have been moments where I'm just like, no, the movie was not good. The Mm -hmm. sweeping wide shots were amazing. I watched it on mute. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm not yeah. even going to, but like things where I'm like, we know this person's going to give amazing cinematography. I do not necessarily care for their storytelling. And no, I'm not dying on this cross of supporting them just because they're black. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? Because like then the other balance is, but there are very few opportunities. It's always this. Yeah, I mean, that's what it comes down to, right? Like, so I, I, the way that I look at it is the... I think black excellence has a place in black culture and in popular culture. And the the reason why it has a place is because black culture and black art has been artificially suppressed and, and, and intentionally kind of like appropriated and stolen um, to enrich other, other people, usually white people. And the thing is, I think that the black excellence thought is coming from a place of elevating into visibility what that means but what i think is accidentally also done not accidentally but it's an outcome of the fact that we are also like still growing and progressing as a as a people and as a culture um is that people are rightly asking a question which is like uh, black excellence is not the only way to be black and it's not and it, it puts in an undue level of pressure on people 
that is not the same pressure, for example, that um, people of the, that are like non people of color, like white people have. They don't they don't have these kind of things. They're not sitting around. No, nobody, nobody that or very few people that I'm aware of that uh, operate in like very predominantly white spaces or predominant spaces that people of color are not in. Uh, they don't question whether or not their performance is going to impact the way that everyone sees all of the people that look like them. They just put it out like here. Yeah. And so I think that that excellent, that that's, that's the part where I'm, 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 I'm hypercritical about everything. If, like you really get to know me. That's like, I'm a curator. Like I will always have a fucking opinion about something, mm-hmm. but that doesn't always mean that my opinion needs to be heard. And that's doubly so true now that, um, my role has elevated to a place where like my opinions actually carry more weight than I want to in a lot of places. And oh, so, I saw that on LinkedIn. Cause you, yeah. you at this point now, you can be like, I really, really love Perry Winkle. And then it'll be like 58. You got it. Yeah. Me? It's so you just have to be like super color. careful about things, right? Like I, that's, and I would even go so far as to say, I remember the first time it happened that I realized how much my words were carrying weight in, in certain rooms that I was almost one of those people. I like, I quit a lot of jobs. I've been, I haven't been fired very often. I've been fired a couple of times for, for, for key uh, disagreements with like CEOs and stuff. But thank you for your services. Kind of that kind of stuff. Right. Right. But uh, I remember I used to joke all the time about like somebody quitting or somebody getting fired, like as a, as a, a, a lower ranked employee. And I remember I made some joke about some dude getting fired in a meeting that I was leading. Um, and he, he reported to me, but it was like a super casual thing. You know, I was just acting like Remy in the street would, would act. (laughs) I, as soon as that landed, it was funny to me. And then I looked around and I'm like, oh no, oh no, no, no. These people think I'm serious that this guy needs to be fired. And I think, you know, I started to really understand that those words that I say have impact. And it's kind of why I'm, I'm less inclined to pick up art, um, art from people of color or, or criticize it in, in an open way. I'm more than willing, like I'm more than willing to have a discussion about it, like over a glass of wine or something right. in an individual setting. But I know that, that there's a lot of, uh, things that can be used as weapons against our own people. Mm-hmm. If we're not careful about what comes out of our mouth. And the, I think that Issa said it best, which is that I'm rooting like for everybody black. Like I don't give a shit what you're doing. If I can help and support it, um, and again in, in a way that is that is fair, um, I will do it 100 of the time. And if I can provide any kind of guidance or support, like I'm always down to do that. But I think black excellence is one of those things that, in a way, I kind of hope it goes away. I'm not not because I don't like it, but because I think it implies that we we have to define. Um, or we're tears. Black excellence in order to recognize black people. I, and you said too, so for me, it's, it's always been more so of a thing of just like, if your black excellence is cover for your classism. Exactly. Then fuck you. So that's how I've always, because my thing is I, and so many other people that I know don't necessarily have the esteem of being a part of the black aristocracy and what I mean. Mm-hmm. And no, and it's not anything bad, but I am not the great, great, great grandchild really? of Frederick Douglass. That's right. I am, you know. There's a lot of them out there though. I've met, met quite a few. Exactly. <laughs> Good God. I'm like, this family was huge. <laughs> I'm like, 
sweet Jesus, she was on that hill living life. But, oh, but that's what I'm saying. Like, and there's, and it's not even to disrespect. I love when I, when I see people that are like, yes, I have that type of heritage or lineage. But I also love the fact that my family is able to trace, at least on my father's side, is able to trace back our roots to the plantation we were from which for a lot of African-Americans is still unheard of right. because right. the last state mm-hmm. wasn't required. Louisiana was the last state that wasn't required to care about black people's birth certificates. And that was right. 1924. My so father didn't have a birth certificate that's what like. it's, so from, you, from, uh, from Louisiana. He was born in New Orleans. See? And so when you're having the, like, even those type of conversations of like, you know, the pride and the heritage and, you know, we were on the Mayflower, we came, we're, there's our ledger and our name in Ellis Island. A lot of that is not given to certain aspects of the African diaspora. Right. And so that's my thing is like, I am just as proud of, you know, my grandma and my mama who picked walnuts in the 60s mm-hmm. on a ship. I translate this loosely because, you know, that was the new slavery on a sharecroppers, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. farm. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. as much as I am of like my cousin who a different branch, you know, I don't associate with him, but who's Apollo, you know, from mm-hmm. the Rocky movies. It's just like, mm-hmm. oh, OK, cool. Carl Weathers. So it's like, yeah. yeah. Either way, I still think it's Black excellence. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's something where it's like, we don't discuss that enough of like, if you're surviving in this type of society under this type of pressure, knowing that people look at you as second-class citizens, even though you have built this country, mm-hmm. I think that is something to celebrate in itself. And mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, I have slightly shifted the I'm rooting for everyone Black mm-hmm. after I vetted you. Mm-hmm. I'm rooting because I've seen also like we in that in wanting to support our own, we still need to do the research because I've seen a lot of our own who's like, no, we are we are in it for ourselves. To and so that's and yeah. once I, yeah. I I make that line of demarcation, yeah. then I'm like, can folk mm-hmm. have all my money and mm-hmm. all my support? Everyone else go with God. <laughs> like, I don't know what to say. Yeah, no, I get it. Yeah. I, I, I think uh, the way that I, I keep looking at it is, is when there's, you know, 50 or a hundred times as many um, mm-hmm. people of color and people from underrepresented groups in these spaces that have historically excluded us. Right. Um, then I will start getting particular about like who's, who's in what and whether or not they deserve to be there. Um but I, I doubt that'll happen in my lifetime and, and God willing it does, but I'm saying like, there's so few of us comparatively that I'm, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to get good people in the door and let them, ideally I would, what I would love is for them to actually not have to carry the weight of like, I have to represent my whole group of people and everything that I do. I want them to yeah. have the same freedom that, that people, um, people who aren't in underrepresented groups have, which is they don't, they don't even think about it. Exactly. And that and that I can completely agree. And that's the thing. Like, it's not a thing of like, oh, I'm changing. we have to change our opinions. Like, but that I can totally agree on. Just as long as I'm there, yes, doing my utmost. But um, I'm never going to be in a space where I'm publicly bashing, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah I get it. Like, I'm never pulling an Angie. I'm like, girl, <laughs> how you gonna do that in front of this man's white producer? Like, you know, <laughs> you don't have the coins to facilitate this. Mm-hmm. Um 
I know recently, like we just lost like Virgil Abloh and mm. that is something I even had made a post about it. I was just like, look, your creators ain't got it this week and y'all need to chill because yeah. I'm like, everyone's feeling it. Yeah. What do you think when it comes to like, you know, when we lose people like that, whether it is a James Baldwin, a Virgil Abloh, um, a Tupac, you know, just people that are really like these cultural phenomenons in a sense. Um, and not saying that everything was 100% golden no, or everything yeah. was 100% bad, like that's not life. But what do you think that means for the culture, like in terms of how we move forward? Because it's such a huge hit, you know? I, I'm, it's, it's a weird thing. First of all, obviously, like when we lose people that, that uh, have not completed the course of their lives, like in, in, in what we had hoped that their lives would be. I mean, there's no, there's no way to kind of fill the hole. And I, I'm I'm always grateful that our culture still honors that that thought that you know there is a there is a, a real mourning and not just a mourning within the individual but as a community. Mm-hmm. I think with Virgil and, and you know even like uh, with Chadwick, like these guys had just incredible, incredible artistic futures ahead of them. And I think l- losing them is a big blow. But I also think that the amount of stuff that they got done in the time that they had is phenomenal. And if anything, my hope is that their successes and the directions that they were running in inspire like a thousand people behind them to do the same things, because I think that's what their actual most important impact will be, which is inspiring people that came up behind them, but also the the humanity that they brought into this, the world that, that they were inhabiting. And I think that you know, Virgil was one of those people that he just, he like bled creativity all over the place and you didn't have to like it. Like it didn't matter whether or not you liked it or not, right. or, what, or, or whether or not you had an opinion. Like he was also, you know, fairly open to hearing most people's opinion about the, the work that he was doing, but it didn't color the work that he did, which is a, is a hard thing to do, especially in the public space. And it didn't, he didn't allow, um, even like the, the the scope of one industry, like the fashion industry to define the work that he did. So I think- um, Wait, I looked up and I'm like, he got a deal with Ikea? Like, what is happening? Exactly, he didn't yeah. And that's like what interior design? Like, okay, yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting because, you know, I think, I, I, don't, I don't by any stretch of the imagination think like hustle culture or even the thought of hustling is a black thing. I think it's a poor people thing, which is where I come from. And I think- uh, I think there's some of that mentality of entrepreneurship and on that the mentality of just looking for ways to do something different. I think that is um, something that he carried with him. And I think that's something that he like sprinkled all over the places that he set foot on. So I am beyond bummed that, uh, that he's gone. And I think that it's hard to, it's hard to quantify why it's important that he was here or why it's important that we don't have him anymore. But I, I think that that his his pathways will open up doors for other folks that will do amazing things, and I I, I just hope that I can do something to like pave a couple of stones on the way there for them because I think that just I I, I can't wait for the day that that somebody black doesn't have to remember that they're black in the spaces that we're operating in. Yeah, I think that's. That is the ultimate goal, you know, where it's just like, I can just be as myself. I don't have to worry about it, whether it's my mate. I don't have to worry about it, whether I come into a corporate structure. And I think 
that's what makes life at times so challenging because it's like for all those things that are mentioned and not mentioned, it's like that's in theory because it's no one's reality. That's right. I don't care how evolved, you know, we think we are as humans. Like there's always still a conversation about interracial marriage. There's always still a conversation about um, being black in corporate spaces. There's like, it's always something. How are you black in politics? Are you an abolitionist? Are you a reformist? It's just like, yeah. at this point, I just want to be like literally singing a Negro spiritual in the middle of Louisiana. Like, it's just like, it's tiring. It is so, exactly. so tiring. That's right. Um, and so thinking about that and ending, wrapping up, this has been a phenomenal conversation, but, you know, as we wrap up, like, what is it, you know, going into this next phase, whether it's your career, yourself personally as a husband, whatever, like, what is it that you're looking forward to in terms of like bringing you black joy like just uh, not t- just bringing you joy period yeah, yeah, that's yeah, the whole thing what is what, like what are you looking forward to with that yeah i think i think for me it's an issue it's, it's like okay so i grew up in a in a house that wasn't w- was pretty poor at, at different points and like um my mother and my brothers and i like lived in lived out of a car for a while like we mm-hmm. we've been through some like stuff together and it's the thing that's interesting is i gotten to the place in my life where I'm comfortable, like super comfortable, both in terms of the, like the finances and like the, the, the surroundings that I've built around myself. But I realized over time that I am an expert at being poor, but I am not, it's still something to get around my head of not being poor. And I don't even mean, mean being wealthy. I mean, just not being poor. Like I can tell you how to survive for two weeks like on $15 by getting like rice and potatoes and a lot of like spices. Um, if you, you know ever I mean? had a kettle to make spaghetti yeah, and it. had a spaghetti last you for yeah. eight days. That's <laughs> like, right. And this up, I don't want to hear yeah. it. And, and granted, that's not like, like be clear again, that's not like a black thing or, or even mm-hmm. a person of color thing, but the people who are most affected by that are generally proportionally um people of color or black people. And I think that I learned very early on how to survive in that way, because that was one of the things that my parents were very adamant about teaching us. But, and they, they taught me how to operate in the spaces that I operate in now. Like it's not an accident that I'm, I'm good at navigating these spaces, mm-hmm. but I realized that I don't necessarily know how, how to be rainy in the, the space that I'm operating anymore. Like it, it's not, it's not entirely clear to me. And, and, and I don't mean, I don't mean that I'm totally confused about who I am as a person. It's just, I, I think what I'm trying to do now is try to understand like, what is the next um, era of my existence look like? And what is it that I should be focused on? I think as a general rule, I have kind of put out this thought that I want to um, support a lot of the, the people that came up like I did and the people that are in um, very difficult situations that, that are systemic. They're not, they're not, they were introduced outside of our control. But I also think that that's not enough because I think the dude that I want to be is, um, is like a scientist, is an astrophysicist and, and is an artist and is also like a storyteller and a person that uh, will come over and help you move your shit if, you, if that's what you need. And I think that what I'm, what I'm trying to focus on now when I look forward is trying to remove all the roadblocks that, well, it's, it's weird. I'm trying to remove the things that help me get to where I am, but have now become roadblocks because 
you know, like you, there's a lot of mentalities there that like you just have to unwind and peel apart. Yeah. And I'm, I'm trying to like slowly do that piece by piece. Cause I think it's also, it's based on the, the trust factor of like, am I, you keep it so close. Cause it's like anything can happen. You're not used mm-hmm. to having that exactly. solid foundation. So you're like, look, exactly. let me just keep it close in case anything happened. Like I instantly no. know, I don't care where I am, what I need to do to get on somebody's unemployment. I got to cancel right. that bill. Nothing. I got to get rid of my facials, no more skin suit. Like yep. we know what the list is to go back living small. Yes. Because it's happened more times than we would like to count before. That's so right. it's like, living in want mentality is like what I, I, I how I've always kind of defined it. And for it, an example, something is so simple. I, I really wish when people were, you know, going over this whole new home ownership thing, I really want to start to see more conversations around the amount of emotional trauma that it will bring up in people. For sure. When you're a first time home buyer, everyone looks at it from this business analytical perspective. Mm -hmm. I I have seen no one, Mm -hmm. I do nowhere, where they talk about it from the fact of like emotionally what it will do to you. And the thing that triggered me, I didn't even realize I was doing this until my, my loan officer was like, you were doing it because you were broke. You were poor. And I was like, oh my God. What it was, I had an exorbitant amount of overdraft fees. Mm-hmm. And she was just like, this is a problem. She was like, your debt to income ratio is amazing. There's no reason why you can't get this building. She was mm-hmm. like, the problem is when I take this to the underwriter, they're going to be like, what the fuck is she doing with her money? Like, mm-hmm. if she got this good ass job, why can't she? Like, she's not doing good money management. Yeah. And what it was, I didn't even, it did not even connect it when I was a teenager, when I was like struggling. When you get close enough to paycheck day, mm-hmm. like two days, you, you will factor in your overdraft fees. So you're just like, fuck it. I'm going to just get like, yeah. Okay, that'll be like $68. I'll get two of those. But then it's like, yeah. I can get food that I really wanted or needed, or I can do right. this. And then when I got my nice job, mm-hmm. they was just like, whatever. Like, nothing fine. Okay, you took a 150 or I did this, or I, I messed up and forgot to carry the zero. And I know, though, I have the paycheck that's completely going to supplement that until you're trying to do real shit. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, this can potentially get you denied for a loan for a house. So you're like, are you kidding me? That's right. But it's yeah. living in that want mm-hmm. mentality, or rather in that want mentality of like, shoot, I need to be living in excess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Put in the work. Yeah. You, yes, things can happen that will, that one day you are not the golden boy and or the golden girl. And they're just like, look, it's, we don't have it. You got to go. But until that, it's like living in a space of like, you deserve it. You worked your ass off for it. Lord knows we have, you know, you sacrificed and it's going to be celebrated. That's right. Yeah. And I think, you know, honestly, the, 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 the thing I do, because I've made a lot of like big jumps very quickly in my career, especially the last, last, say half of my career. And one of the things that, that those jumps do is it kind of puts you in like a whole nother tax bracket, which is a whole nother surprising thing to even understand, which I'm not, I haven't processed yet. But what I, I will intentionally do is when that happens, and it's happened probably like three or four times, I will like stop all the things that I'm doing before like I start a new job or like move into a new space and just 
um, understand, I kind of sit with myself. I sit with like the people who are closest, closest to me and understand like I, I'm, I and we have to grow. Like we, we can't take the thing that we, that brought us to this point and go forward with it. We have to grow into this thing that we're, we're becoming. And it's hard as shit to try to do that intentionally. Like normally when you grow, it's kind of a, an organic thing. This is so much more direct and it's more like you have to, it's something you're talking about, which is that you have to like unwind the, the, the trauma and the suffering that you've gone through and understand that that's not normal. And that's not something you should like do normally and think that is okay. Um, and you had to do it because you had to do it, but it doesn't have to be that way in the future. And the world that you will build in the future is, is so much more peaceful and beautiful. Like I look around my, my life right now and it's just so peaceful. But then I also realize that the, the, the downside of that, especially if you move quickly and do it, do it a lot, is you lose people along the way because you, you elevate beyond them. And you can try, like, obviously you can try to retain the relationships to a certain extent, but at a certain point, you're not even talking the same language anymore. Like you don't, you don't understand each other at all. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I think I have been surrounded my whole life by a bunch of beautiful, talented dream deferreds. Mm-hmm. And you get to a place where it's just like, you love them, but you have to be like, I can't sit here in this because it's like, if I'm also putting in the work to get better, it's painful watching you and still be unhealed. Like I can't, I can't keep doing it because it's like, I can't keep telling you why this is my boundary and why you can't Mm -hmm. overstep this and why Mm -hmm. I love you, but you don't get to talk to me that way. Like you just get to a place of like, okay, I have to love you from a distance. Yeah. Truly doesn't mean I don't care for you, but it's like, I can't keep putting my dreams on hold because I'm waiting for you to finally get confidence in yours. Exactly. Exactly. And I think like once I got to that space uh, and I've had to do that with like some people that I really am like, I'm always telling like, you're so talented. You can do this. Like just believe in yourself. And it's like, why am I like, Mm-hmm. I didn't spend two hours on a phone call. They still That's ain't right. gonna listen. They still gonna give me hell and then like wait for someone else to tell them you're grossly under uh serving yourself by charging this low rate. And I'm like, oh, okay, right. well, yeah. I said it. Yeah, yeah. And I think, yeah, you get to a place of like you just don't want to put yourself through that. Yeah. And especially when you think about like it's time to start feeding your own destiny. Sure. Yeah. Stepping into that. Um I have had this has been like the best time. I'm so ready to go into yeah, like now because I'm like, yay! I missed um, you. I'm glad we had a chance to sit down and talk. It's been good. There's no one I can send like random funny memes to. No, that's a lie. I still got a couple of people that I be sending stuff to. Like, did you see this? Like, somebody get Ply's IG and tell him to shut up. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> From the bottom of my heart, wishing you. I I I know. The Raimi of yesteryear is super, super proud to see the man you become. I cannot wait to see what you do rock out in this new position. Thank you. Um, thank you. Yeah. I'm, I'm just so happy if there's any way I can get like a couple of coupons because my prime is out of control. No, oh, okay. yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, we don't do that. <laughs> like, yeah, nah. So you you talk to my people and they'll, they'll let you know. <laughs> No, thank you so much for inviting me, Joy. Again, like it's always good to talk to you, and um, I just I'm always always amazed to see your your growth and your successes. And you know, you know me, I'm always like rooting, even if you don't hear me in the background. <laughs> yeah.
I definitely do my brother. And so um, if there's anything you need, hands down, like I got you. And yes, everyone, I will see you next week for another episode of Joy Has Questions. Bye. Hey, so for this week's motivational message, I'm actually going to take a page out of Mark Twain's book, uh, no pun intended, seeing how he is an iconic American writer. But there's a quote of his that I have always kept close to myself, which is the two most important days in life are the day you were born and the day you discover why. I grew up in a really religious background, um, very strict upbringing. And one of my mom's favorite scriptures to quote was like, you know, basically it says like the day of your dying is more important than the day of your birth. And I understood that to always mean like, because that's when you have amassed, you know, a life's worth of work that can be measured, that can be determined. But I always kind of like bristled slightly on that passage just based on the fact that I'm like, what if you spent your life defining your work by what other people wanted you to be? And so when I always think about the quote with Mark Twain, what I've always loved about that is the fact that like the day you decide what your life is going to be, the day you make the choice, as to what your destiny holds and what path you want to set out on. And you consistently put in the effort to see that come to fruition. That is just as beautiful as when you came into this world. To figure out the why of it all is just, there's no words that I can even put in into verse. Um, Everyone knows I'm consistent with my show, but I'm also very honest with everyone I talk to. I don't get thousands of views you know, for this. We all have those moments where we're putting into our passion and it isn't necessarily being reflected in metrics or in money or in, you know, something that society bases as being a marker for success. But if you're doing something that truly makes you happy, that you truly feel like you're reaching people, you're inspiring people, you're fulfilling your purpose, that is all that matters. And I really want people to just take a step today to get closer to your why. Or maybe that is even taking a step to really sit still with yourself and be like, who is it that is around me that doesn't make me feel comfortable to go for the why that really matters to me? Because sometimes the reason why we aren't just taking that step out and that leap of faith into what really matters to us is because we're too worried and concerned with what other people think. And if there's anything else that I've also known about our birth date, we come into this world alone and we die alone. It is just us with God at the beginning. It's us with him at the end. And knowing that and understanding that and not being fearful of that, I think for me really helps put the focus where it should be or to balance out those scales. I am here to figure out my why. I'm not here to figure out what somebody else's expectations of me were supposed to be. And I encourage everyone to please do the same. Do not be out here living for nobody else. Figure out your why. That being said, I hope everyone has a beautiful week and I'll see you for next week's episode of Joy Has Questions. Bye. Always black.